Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this morning. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And that's what we're going to do is try to find answers to your questions in the Bible. We hope we get to uh, your question today. If you've called one in in the past few weeks, we're always a ways behind. And, uh, we go as fast as we can, and we'll, we'll get to it if you've asked us a question lately. If you want to know how to ask us a question, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and uh, let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce uh, my sidekick here, Mr. Toby Levering. Morning, Toby. Morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go here, all studied up. And uh, we got some good ones coming up today, but we always give our viewers one first. So let's give them today's question. What was Joseph's trade? And this is not the Joseph in the Old Testament. This is Joseph, the uh, husband of Mary. What was his trade? And we'll uh, give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family get that one right. All right, looks like I drew the first one today, so let me try this one. Uh, viewer just wants to know where a verse is. Uh, where does it say, the eyes of the Lord are watching to and fro? Well, that sounds like an old Bible quotation, doesn't it? Going to and fro. Uh, we don't say that much anymore. Well, there is a verse that says that, and it's in Second Chronicles 16.9. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So that basically says God is watching, looking all over the earth. His eyes are going to and fro, and he's looking for people that believe in him and are blameless toward him, and he wants to support them. Uh, that's an example of giving human characteristics to God. Uh, if we had the old English teacher still on the program, uh, Lewis would explain that in a little more detail. I don't know if it's anthropomorphism or personification is one of those two. Uh, but it's where we take a non-human entity and give it human characteristics. Uh, God obviously doesn't have eyeballs that move right to left and all that. He's a spirit. Uh, what the viewer is doing there is he's personifying God. He's making him have human characteristics and saying his eyes go to and fro. Well, obviously God sees everything at once. Uh, his eyes aren't moving right and left and all of that, but you get the picture. He's picturing God as having human characteristics and the truth is he's watching. Uh, he knows what's going on on earth and those that support him, uh, he wants to strongly support them. So Second Chronicles 16.9 is your answer. Viewer asked the question, what does fear the Lord mean when you love the Lord? Well, you're right. This idea of fearing the Lord is in the Scripture, and we've kind of mitigated it to just saying, well, it's kind of a respect thing. And unfortunately, I think that pulls back away from the Scripture. 
when you look at any interaction with God and human beings, almost the first, uh, most instinctive reaction is fear. And I think that has something to do with the holiness of God and the unholiness that we, I mean, we can't even understand how unholy we are and how holy God is. Whenever human beings have a holy interaction, it's a fearful thing. Isaiah, who was a prophet, had a vision and he went up to heaven and his reaction was this, woe to me. Now this is a prophet, mind you. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. Uh, there is a deep, holy fear, and that's the best way I can describe it, uh, for people that come into the presence of God. And I think that's something we ought to have. Um, it's, 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 there is a respect level to it, but it's so much more than that. Uh, when people come into the presence of a holy God, uh, Jesus said it this way in Matthew. He said, <clears throat> Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, that's pretty... I mean, Jesus was a loving guy, but he was describing his father. And he was saying, you need to understand the power and the holiness and the might of my father. Uh, you may be afraid of some things in this world, but there's a deeper fear you need to have. Uh, we're told elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, this is, a, this is the understanding that you know, when, when we come into the presence of God, uh, we do uh, are just overwhelmed uh, with fear at His pure, purity, His holiness, His goodness, all of that wrapped into to one. And when it's compared to us, we just say, woe is me. We just have Isaiah's reaction. Uh, I think we ought to be a little more fearful. I think the less people fear, fear the Lord, uh, the, the more disrespectful they get, the farther away from His Word they get. Now, uh, how do we combine that with love? Well, First John chapter 4, verse 18, I, I think explains it pretty well. He says, There is no fear in love, but love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I think we start with fear. I think that's got to be the basis when we understand who God is and who we are. But as we grow, as we mature in our relationship in Christ, uh, we ought to learn to love. We ought to grow in our love. We ought to increase. It ought to, it ought to mature and develop more and more as we draw nearer to God. Let's finish by reading Deuteronomy 10:12 together. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Is it fear or is it love? I think the answer is it's both. And we've got to have both as we walk with the Lord. I hope that's helpful to you. All righty, a question about baptism and a Jewish practice. The viewer says, does baptism have anything to do with the Jewish mikvah? Uh, well, let me say this first of all. I, I am not any kind of an expert on Jewish practices or, uh, in the Old Testament for that matter or current day Jewish practices. Uh, I, it's one thing I kind of wish I knew more about. If I had time to study it, I think it would be very interesting to, to learn more about it and I think it would help 
us understand the New Testament a whole lot better. Uh, what we know from the Old Testament certainly helps. And if we understood some of the practices better, I think it would really illuminate things. And I think this one does. Uh, I had to look it up, of course, and learn a little bit more about the mikvah. Uh, the mikvah was a immersion in water for spiritual cleansing uh, and ceremonial cleansing in the Old Testament. It existed. Uh, there were baptismal pools all over Jerusalem. There's one reason they could baptize so many people, I think, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, but it was a practice and uh, existed and still exists today. I thought perhaps the best explanation would I'd let some Jewish people explain it to you. So I looked for some websites and I found one called Jews for Jesus, uh, people who understand the Jewish practices. And this is what they say about the, the mikvah to help you understand it. It says, to this day, uh, Gentiles who would embrace Judaism must undergo baptism, immersion, in a mikvah ritual. The purpose of this ceremonial immersion is to portray spiritual cleansing, as Maimonides concluded in his codification of the laws of mikvah. And what he said was, uncleanness is not mud or filth, which water can remove, but it's a matter of scriptural decree and dependent on the intention of the heart. Well, that's a pretty good description of Christian baptism, actually. Uh, in fact, the uh, New Testament uses almost those same terms in, a, in a, a verse that it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience before God. So, a Christian baptism is different than the mikvah. It's not the same thing. Uh, it's got some similarities. Uh, certainly, they practiced uh, ceremonial immersion before Jesus came along and ordered Christians to be baptized. Uh, it's similar in that it's a script, uh, spiritual cleansing. It uh, symbolizes that, uh, but it's a lot more profound. Christian baptism has a lot more to it. Uh, for instance, Christian baptism pictures uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We go down into the watery grave and we come up a new creature. Uh, so it pictures that beautifully. And it is also when a lot of things happen. It's when God promises to save us. Uh, Jesus himself said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, Paul writes a lot about that, and he tells us what happens at baptism. We're united with his death. Uh, we're made a new creature. That's when the Holy Spirit acts upon our heart. That's when uh, we become a new creature, and sins are washed away, and we become a child of God. And uh, Paul writes a lot about that. So, uh, yes, Christian baptism, very similar, looks the same, all of that as the Jewish mikvah, but it's a very different uh, purpose and uh, uh, meaning to Christian baptism. So, I'd answer our viewer, yeah, it's related in some ways, but it's much more profound than that. All right, let me take just a moment and uh, invite you to study the Bible in a little bit different way than you do. Uh, I know we've got a lot of old-time Bible students that know the Bible from front cover to back and love to read it and study it all the time, but we've got a lot of viewers that never got started in Bible study. Maybe you've tried, found out you just can't quite get going on uh, sitting down and reading the Bible. So we've got some tools, some materials that we'll send you, uh, and they help you study your Bible. 
there are different courses that we have. There's one very basic course that we start people with. There's eight lessons in it. And it's just a good overview of the Bible. It's not man's creed or doctrine or it's not tied to any church. It's just a study of the Bible. Uh, if you want to know some more about your Bible, this is a good place to get started. In fact, the first two lessons I always like to point out are very basic. Uh, you see them on your screen there, the Old Testament, the New Testament. That's your first two lessons. And if you don't know the difference between those two, you're going to have a hard time understanding your Bible. So that's where this course starts. Get those two parts of your Bible understood and know what they're about and where they came from. Then you're ready to study some other topics. So good course. Uh, been doing it for years and years. Lots of folks tell us, <coughs> excuse me, that it really helped them understand the Bible. So if you want to get started, use that phone number website. Give us a call and uh, let us know and we'll get it started for you. All right, Toby, another uh, question about baptism yep, here. Yeah, a rebaptism <laughs> question. Viewer wants to know if I was baptized years ago but have had years of sinning since, do I need to be baptized again? My answer is probably not. Uh, if baptism was nullified by a certain amount of sin, and uh, we'd all need to be baptized a lot more than we are, uh, I would say uh, to understand that rebaptism is different than repentance. And the Bible simply says when you've been baptized into Christ, uh, the goal is to have a repentant heart, a heart that turns away from sin uh, whenever it is possible. And there, when there are times when you stumble and fall that you make sure that you ask God for forgiveness and, and repent by changing you know, your way. Don't just ask God for forgiveness and keep on doing it. If you want to be rebaptized, uh, that's usually done, uh, maybe a few more reasons than this, but generally speaking, a person who's rebaptized didn't understand why he was doing it or she, uh, that meaning they were an infant or a baby or very young, didn't understand faith and repentance and belief and all of that. Uh, second, maybe they were baptized for the wrong reasons, that uh, being just some some places baptize as uh, requirements for membership to their local church, and that's not found in the Bible at all. It is requirement for the church worldwide, but not the local church. If you're a member of the church worldwide, then you're a member of the local church when you um, request so with those elders or the governing body there. And the third one is uh, if, you're, if your baptism was done in the wrong way, if it was done by sprinkling, or some other non-immersion form, because the word baptism just means <coughs> immersion. So if you have any of those, then yeah, you maybe ought to reconsider uh, being rebaptized. But if your profession of faith was sincere and you were baptized by immersion uh, into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, uh, I think that your first baptism is sufficient. Uh, in truth, only you can know that. Uh, and that's between you and God. And if you're convicted that you weren't and that you need to do it, you need to find a Church of Christ near you that would be willing to help you with that and talk with you a little bit. Um, so no, my answer is probably not, but it's really a heart decision, and you have to know your heart and what it was when you were first baptized. Let's look at First John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. It says this, If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But... If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. 
If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, our baptism uh, connects us with the blood of Jesus. That blood continually purifies us in Christ. Uh, if you're in Him, you don't have anything to worry about other than making sure you um, repent when necessary and uh, try to do your best to walk in the light. I hope that's helpful to you. Great verse, great promise there. <laughs> All right, very interesting question here. I found when I researched it a bit, do you know anything about St. Matthew's Church in Oklahoma? They keep sending me letters that say I won't be rewarded if I don't send them more money. Now, well, that got my interest, so I did a little looking on the Internet. Now, let me say, first of all, there's a lot of churches, a congregation named St. Matthew's, so we're not talking about them. There's St. Matthew's Catholic churches and St. Matthew's Presbyterian and St. Matthew's this and that. So if your church is named St. Matthew's, calm down. I'm not talking about you. But I found that there is a St. Matthew's church organization. Uh, and when you Google that and it pops up and about half of the references uh, start with scam and fraud and con game, uh, you, you, you begin to sense that there may be something wrong here. Uh, now, obviously, anybody can write anything on the Internet, so you can't believe everything you read. Uh, but the evidence about this operation was pretty overwhelming, and I thought, well, let's just go ahead and mention it. We're not the consumer's report for churches uh, on this program, but this one I will mention uh, because the lady claimed she was being pushed to send more money, and I think that's a crime. Um, basically, this operation seems to be a mail-order church, is what I would call it. Up until a few years ago, they didn't even have a physical location. <clears throat> uh, the guy that operates it well, lives in a big house in California, a great big house, and he's continually over the years been in trouble uh, with the IRS and the Better Business Bureau and uh, always getting in trouble for things. Uh, the IRS studied his, and he's had a lot of different operations, uh, but he's been found to be not a church. Uh, he's just doing it for personal gain, and then he'll get start another operation and get away with it for a while. Uh, so he's a little pretty clear that he's some kind of con artist. Uh, the thing that really kind of set me off is I read one article about him, that he uses census data, he gets a hold of that and targets older people. He targets senior citizens and starts sending them letters and claiming to be this St. Matthew's church and he feeds the hungry and does all sorts of things that are part of the scam. Uh, so from what I researched on it, I'd be very wary of anything named that uh, and telling you to send money. Of course, I'd be very wary of anybody that's sending you letters telling you you need to send money or your life's not going to be blessed or something like that. Uh, my advice is find a local church to support. Uh, find somebody that you know the people and they know you. Uh, if you begin going to a local church and you notice that the preacher there uh, drives a Rolls Royce and lives in a million dollar mansion, you might be a little suspect about how things are running there. Uh, you can see that if you go to a local church. So stay away from these mail order operations. <clears throat> Doesn't mean that there are not 
legitimate organizations that uh, advertise on the internet or send you letters or something. There's good charities in this world. But do a little research. If you got a computer, if you don't have some, your grandson, Google it for you and learn a little bit about these kind of places. Uh, this one sounds pretty shaky to me, so uh, stay away from that organization. All right, speaking of churches, let me uh, welcome you to a Church of Christ near you. And we advertise a few that support this program each week. Uh, today, let me highlight the Eastwood Church of Christ over in Hutchinson, Kansas. If you live near Hutch or uh, pass through there, you might want to drop in and visit the folks at the Eastwood Church of Christ. Uh, Jimmy Ray Mead's a minister there. I know you'd enjoy hearing him preach the gospel. Good bunch of folks there, uh, strong, long-time supporters of Know Your Bible, and we appreciate them and what they do in the Hutchinson community. So uh, anywhere you live that you're watching Know Your Bible, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, if you know someone that attends one, tell them you were watching the Know Your Bible program and uh, heard about them and want to thank them for keeping the program on the air. So visit a Church of Christ near you sometime. All right, tell me what your view are after and here. a moral question. Okay. A viewer wants to know, can adultery ever be forgiven? And adultery, if you don't know, is the breaking of a marital covenant by having uh, a sexual relations with someone who is not your spouse. And that is forbidden by God. It's something that he commanded strictly against both in the Old Testament and the New. In fact, Jesus went farther than that. He said, if you even look at a woman with the intent to lust, the adultery is already started in your heart. So uh, adultery is a terrible thing. It breaks up marriages and family. Lots of consequences for it. The question is, can it ever be forgiven? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. Uh, not only can be forgiven, but we have a exact, uh, a pre precise example, rather, of Jesus forgiving it directly. It's very helpful to read a story like this, especially if you've uh, been cheated on or if you've been involved in adultery. Uh, you need to know that all hope is not lost. It doesn't mean there won't be consequences for that sin, but it uh, does give us hope that forgiveness can still be attained. Let's read uh, from John uh, chapter 8, verses 3 and following. <clears throat> this isn't the whole of the story, but uh, you'll get the gist of it here. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? He straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think that gives me uh, all sinners hope because Jesus understood that none of us is without sin, that all of us need a Savior. And um, the only way to have that salvation is through faith in Christ, being buried with Him in baptism. And so if you've committed adultery, you can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And I think His command is still just as true today. He wants us to go and leave the life of sin. We can enjoy a blessed life and have better things in front of us than behind us. All right, thank you, Toby. Um, question about the Bible in general here. A viewer says, my Bible has 66 books. 
and the American Bible has 72. Uh, what's the difference? Well, this person's picked up a, actually it's probably the New American Bible, uh, and it says it's got more books in it than mine. Well, the New American Bible is the, as I understand it, the current recommended translation for Catholics. Uh, the general, in general, Catholic Bibles have more books than well, we usually say the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible. Uh, may not be the best terms for it, but everybody understands it that way. Uh, the Catholic Bible have, does have some extra books in it over what's generally called the Protestant Bible. Uh, those extra books are apocryphal books is the word for them. It means hidden. And they were written between the Testaments. They were written between uh, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and on. They were written in that 400-year period. And uh, there's some history in them. There's some, uh, some of them are more like novels than they are history books. Uh, there's some interesting things in them. Uh, but the difference between those and what's in the 66-book Bible is Christians and Jews both never accepted those six books, or sometimes there's more, uh, as inspired of God. They're interesting books, and some of them have some good teaching in them, uh, but they're not uh, inspired by God. They're not considered that by anybody in the first few centuries. Now, later, the Catholic Church uh, voted to accept them as inspired. Uh, but most everybody else in the world said, no, those are not uh, inspired books. They don't meet all of the qualifications. There's errors in them. There's things that aren't true. and uh, So they're not in most Bibles. Uh, book, Bibles that are published and written for Catholics uh, usually include those apocryphal or hidden books uh, that most of the world doesn't accept as inspired. So that's the difference between uh, those two kind of Bibles. All right, a viewer asked the question, <clears throat> if God knows everything, why didn't he know Adam and Eve would eat of the fruit? Well, uh, that assumes that he didn't know that. Of course, they knew that because God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. Uh, he knew when he gave us free will that we'd make the wrong decision. Uh, apparently, he thought it was uh, worth the risk. Um, if you think about the example from a human standpoint of having children, you know they're going to cost you a lot. You know they'll probably break your heart at times. Uh, but still you choose to have children uh, because you think the benefits far outweigh the risks and you're willing to pay the price. And with God's, of course, I'm not going to speak for the perspective of God. He Only he knows in truth. Uh, but I think he understood that the risk of giving us free will, the ability to choose, uh, had a benefit to us and that uh, we could truly love him, that he could love us and that we could love him in return of our own free will. Risk, of course, being that we would not love him, that we'd rebel from him, we'd break his heart. Uh, but God, in his all-knowing wisdom, uh, knew something that we didn't, uh, that whatever, whatever happened at the first day when sin entered the world through the end of all days, uh, all that sin added up cannot compare to the great love and eternal salvation that we can know in Christ. So, in my estimation, uh, that's why he did it. But, of course, only he knows. Let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, 
He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Yep, he knew what we would do, and he always had a plan for what to do about it. Hope that helps you. All right, thank you, Toby, and thank you, viewers, for your good questions today. We're glad we got to answer a few of them. We want to make sure we get our trivia question answered before we quit today. Uh, we asked, what was Joseph's trade? And that's Joseph, the uh, husband of Mary. And I bet most of you knew this one. Joseph was a carpenter. And uh, Jesus worked with him in the carpenter shop growing up. So Jesus also was a carpenter for the first part of his life. Glad you've been with us today. and hope you've uh, had your question answered. And maybe something we said stirred another one. Give us a call, log on, let us know what it is. We hope you come back next week for more of your questions. Till then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.